Welcome to the Selectively Aggressive Podcast, episode number two. I'm Isaac Haben, also known as MLB Analysis on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm joined this time by Javi Noyola once again and Justin Dunbar. And we're going to talk about the MLB draft today. Justin, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so right now I run my own website known as MVPSportsTalk.com. Um, it's kind of a, an analytically centric website on football and baseball. Um, I do a lot of work with MLB prospects, um, positional value, a lot of studies um, on how to team build, and really just coming up with open, fun articles on a whole variety of topics. Yeah, I've read a few of them. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I will. And you... I'll go on. Go ahead. Adam. I was going to say I read. I was reading through the. I read through the the one nineteen. I didn't read all one nineteen, but I read through a few of that for the MLB draft, and then also like who the other article about who teams should target. That was some good stuff. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't remember. I think I read the positional value one for sure, and I started reading the draft board one but i didn't have enough knowledge to know like if i should read that one for first or another one first so i read a few before i was gonna get back to that one but i didn't so i'll read it later though um so we're gonna talk about the draft today and we will get started right away i think um so torkelson spencer torkelson is the is the top guy in the draft but i think justin disagrees with that yeah, so I'm not here to argue about Spencer Torkelson's talent. I, his plate discipline might be an 80 on the 2080 scale. His production in at Arizona State was through the roof. But as we referenced, there's a p- clear positional value in baseball, and first base is the least valuable of the any position that's not DH or reliever. Um And even at first base, Torkelson is so good that he'll provide value, but his margin for error is also much smaller. So he really has to hit to um, justify being the number one overall pick. Whereas if you take a pitcher or an up the middle player, there's more room for them to be an all around player and justify the selection. Yeah. I'm in agreement there. Like Torkelson's great, but, yeah, the margin of error is extremely low on first baseman. And I'm like, I don't know why the number one overall pick is like, like the consensus, everyone knows that they're gonna, the Tigers are going to take Torkelson tomorrow. There hasn't really been rumblings for Martin or Zach, or even Zach Veen, which, I mean, I don't know. I feel like Martin or Veen should get more respect in that regard. Yeah, I I did read something that said the Tigers might might lean towards someone else like uh, Lacey or Martin if they wanted to go underslot if they wanted to take an underslot value. I, I don't know if everyone knows what that is where used to, but like where teams pay will pay him less to go number one overall and then use more of the money more of their draft pool money later on in like the second round to get someone better there. Um. So I had read something that said maybe they would go Martin or Lacey there in, at first overall instead if one of those two was more willing to take an underslot deal. Um, but, yeah. Keep going. But I, I don't – I think they're probably going to go with Torkelson. 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I would say they're probably not going to go Lacey. I, I don't um, – Asa Lacey, right? Asa is his first name. I believe that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I'm not actually sure. I, for some reason, I didn't write down a few of the first <laughs> on here. Um, I would think they go Martin if they're going to go someone else because that's – Detroit's a pretty, pretty pitching-heavy system already. Mize, Scooball – um, Fido, Fido yeah. Bo- Matt Manning, Bobros, Matt Manning. Um, then then they got a couple guys already in the majors too, but with Boyd and Fulmer. Um, so I would I would think they're go- they're going to go hitter. I would have to think because they don't have much in that regard in their system. Uh, but I and I but I think ultimately it's going to be Torkelson. Um. Yeah, I agree. I agree. yeah. It'll it'll going to be Torkelson and what you just said about the Tigers potentially trying to underslot someone first I've heard the same thing about I read someone on Twitter say that about the Orioles how they might go with Veen or Gonzalez or maybe even Kerstad at number two and then try to buy someone like Nick Bitsko at number 30 which I don't know I I feel like that'd be a bad move especially if you take Eston Kerstad number two Overall, like I feel like that's almost wasting the pick, and and losing Martin, which I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree, Justin. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, so um, about um, underslot for both these teams, uh, Detroit. I think it's very unlikely. Um, it's pretty much the worst kept secret. They're going to take Torkelson, but I really do think Baltimore might go underslot. They have picks thirty and thirty nine. And there's a lot of prep players that are intriguing. I've heard them link to Bitsko. I've heard them link to Ed Howard at pick 30, who are two really intriguing prep players. But I do agree uh, that I would just play it safe at number two. I would not take Heston Kerstead. I'm not even sure Heston Kerstead should be taken in the first round. Um, Nick Gonzalez, he's a good player. He's not worthy of number two with some of his defensive limitations. If they did go under slot and go Zach Veen, that would make a lot of sense because I, I personally think Veen and Martin are on the same level. It's just a matter of being safe. And when you're the Orioles and really their only notable position player prospect is Adley Rushman. Uh, Martin would really compliment Rushman well and just accelerate their rebuilding timeline. So I think they should just play it safe. That's a little, uh, little out of the blue there. Not thinking that Kerstad could sh- should go in the in the first round. Yeah, it's well. What, part of the problem is a he's a corner outfielder, not with defensive limitations already. So that's not ideal. And if you look in his junior, or actually it would be a sophomore year of college. His walk rate was under 7%. And if you're not walking in college, when you're the star of your team, I'm a, and um, he was striking out around 22%, that's just really risky. I think there's a lot of Eddie Rosario in him. And I don't know about you, but I'm not taking Eddie Rosario in the top 10, especially with the second overall pick. Eddie Rosario is incredibly annoying. I can't, can't stand Eddie Rosario. Um, <laughs> uh, I I do think teams seem to, or scouts at least seem to think that he'll be pretty solid in a corner outfield 
spot. So I'm not like, and I I don't think teams are gonna take into account all the defensive uh, position positional value all the time. I I that doesn't mean I'm necessarily opposed to the idea, but I think Kerstad definitely will go like top ten. I've heard yeah. him link to the Pirates at seven a lot. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, and if it's not, yeah, the Pirates they they're big on Kerstad, and if it's not him, I've heard Pete Crow. Armstrong for them, so they pe- seem pretty set on an outfield there. I think I think Pico Armstrong might be a better pick than Kerstat. Well, it's no. funny because they're essentially opposite players. Pico Armstrong right now is a prep player who's a great athlete and great defensively, but his offense is a little in question. Though when yeah. you're a prep player, I'm not that worried about what like your power production is. He has really good exit velocities from what I've seen. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. If they did take him seven to go under slot, that's a little bit of a reach, but it wouldn't be bad. It'd definitely be better than taking Kerstad, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, because he's – I think Pico Armstrong, he's one of the few players – I don't want to say the only player that's like – that is almost a guarantee to stay in center, which I think is very valuable. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I think – from what I was reading, he's regarded as like the best defensive center fielder in the draft, or at least one of the best. Yeah. So there's, th- there's, there's some other then, guys who might stick in center. Um, Veen, Zach yeah. Veen might. Uh, but like Kerstad, Garrett Mitchell is one where the oh yeah Mitchell he might, he, he might be able to stick in center, but he might end up in a corner. Uh, Robert Hassel, probably. He, uh, from what I re- read, there was mixed reviews on whether or not he could stick in center. Yeah, he's a maybe. It's hard with the prep uh, players, too, because yeah. they could easily fill out and then have to move to a corner spot. You don't really know how their body's going to mature and how their speed's going to hold up. Yeah, that was a lot of the talk that I saw with Veen was he might he might end up filling out enough where he moves to a corner instead of being able to stick in center. Though I do think if Veen does go to a corner outfield spot, I think he will be a plus defender there. So it's not as much of a a problem as, say, like Kyrgyzstad's already really an average corner outfielder at best. I think Veen will comfortably be above average defensively. Yeah, I, I really like Veen overall. Um, he's one of the guys that I was reading about where there doesn't seem to be many questions about what, what he's capable of. Yeah, I remember. I've heard like comparisons to. I mean, when you compare someone to an MVP, like it's. I don't know. I, I would usually advise against that, but I've heard like Scott say he's like a Yelich type player, except with plus defense. I think. Yeah, I think I saw that somewhere too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The... I'm not sure he actually. That's like a fair comp. That's more of like a ceiling comp but yeah yeah i mean the ceiling like it's not like the ceiling is impossible too if you develop him properly you're looking at a really special player yeah absolutely um back to back to kerstad i don't know if you guys watched any any film on on him but he's got this um he's got this rotation like he circles his bat around and it makes his timing his uh, swing very timing like focused so if he there's a little less um 
room for error, and that's probably why he swings and misses so much. Um, so I don't know if teams would want to try to get rid of that or not. But it's you don't want to play with a guy's swing too much, probably. Yeah, and he has a really huge leg kick, which is fine, but when you're predicated on timing, it's a little yeah. concerning. Um, but his bat speed numbers are through the roof, which mitigates those concerns a little for me. Um, but it's still something to keep an eye on for sure. So the only question really we have with Torkelson then it seems would be defense, defensive, like positional value. Um, is there anything else that you guys don't have any other concerns with him, right? I've heard some people say that he strikes out a little too much. Uh, I'm not really worried about strikeouts when he's also probably going to walk at a double-digit clip, too. So, Yeah, yeah. I, I think I read that, too, actually. Yeah, that's what – I believe that's what Keith Law said, how um, he's, he's shown some swing and miss, but he, I, I'm pretty sure he led the country in walks before the shutdown. So, yeah, I don't think it's too big of a concern. Yeah, and obviously, like, he's going to hit for a lot of power. Yeah. Um, so after Torkelson, who, who's your next, or who do you guys think goes number two? You know, that, that's what I like about this draft. I felt like last year, and the, or especially last year, like, it was Rutschman one, Bobby Witt two. can't remember who went third. Vaughn, Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn and J.J. Blade a fourth, and, like, that kind of, like, everyone sort of knew that here. Like, we don't really know what the Orioles are going to do. Um, I mean, I, I mean, Martin has been heavily mocked there. But, like, as I said, like, they might do – they might try underslotting someone like Gonzalez or Bean or whoever. Um, but I, I don't know. And, and also uh, their GM – what's his name? The guy from the – used to be – Elias. The, yeah, yeah. Like Elias. Um, he – like that was a common strategy with the Astros where they would underslot someone. That's what they did with Correa. And so they could pay someone later, later in the draft. Um, I don't know. My gut still tells me Austin Martin, like, I, I don't know how you pass up on him. Yeah. So, and um, going back to the point about last draft, I was looking at a Fangrass mock draft and they got nine of the 10, like, picks in the top 10 correctly but this year it's really because if austin martin does not go number two that changes every other pick and that is what makes this draft really interesting i've heard nick gonzalez the most of them to the point that people are actually starting to mock him there at two um, at number two which is really high uh but I just don't understand why they wouldn't go Austin Martin. I'm starting to think like there's too much smoke around it for it not to be true, especially given Elias's past track record. But at the same time, that's what people said last year when he had the number one pick with Rushman, that they might go underslot with Bobby Witt or C.J. Abrams, and he didn't. And when it when it's all said and done, GMs usually tend to go and on the conservative side. So I still think Austin Martin's the pick, but I think it's really a coin flip between Martin and Gonzalez. Wow. I, I would be pretty surprised if Gonzalez goes number two. You I think I don't, me? 
I don't. Th- I I think they would take like anyone else. Like there's like five other guys. I think they would. They should take before Nick Gonzalez. Really? I would take. Well, I I don't know. It depends. Like I don't know if they would be willing to go a pitcher if they would want to go with uh, Emerson Hancock or Lacey. I would definitely take Zach Veen over over Nick Gonzalez. I think it just comes down to money. I don't think they even think Gonzalez is the second best player. I think the problem with Lacey uh, is that he would cost too much, and that's the same thing with Martin. And if they really want to get Nick Bitsko at 30 and scare a bunch of teams away from drafting him before he gets the 30, then Gonzalez is going to be the pick to save a lot of money. I just don't see why they would do that, but... Apparently, that's actually something that they're really thinking about, and it would be quite the story if they actually did that. Yeah, so it comes down to, do you want Austin Martin and, uh, like, Chris McMahon, or do you want Nick Gonzalez and... Uh, Bitsko. Bitsko, and, I, and I, I'd say Austin Martin and Chris McMahon. I mean, in every draft, there's... Well, there's no such thing as a safe prospect, but we know, right. like... Prep pitchers are very risky, so to sacrifice Austin Martin just for the chance that Nick Vitsko is really good. He he might not even be there. And there's a chance he's not even there. There are other teams with money. Right. I've seen Vitsko to the Giants, to the Reds, to the Rangers, Phillies. Like, just because they have the money doesn't mean necessarily he'll get there. Yeah, the Reds would be something because that's a team that's very. They just got Kyle Bodie or Body or I don't know how you say his last name. The guy who runs Driveline, and Bitsko is one of those guys that if you tap into, like he's his rep soto readings are insane, and I think the Reds are a team that can maximize that. So I think I think he there's a good chance he's the first prep pitcher off the board i don't know because the one thing about bitsko is he reclassified this year so no one has actually really seen him pitch yeah the rap soda readings are all they have now there's clearly a ton of tools and he's also only 17 so i would probably it's close between him and mick abel for me on which one i would take but like Bitsko is probably the biggest unknown in this draft. He, like we said, he could go 12 to the Reds. He could go all the way down to 30 to the Orioles. And I've even heard he might not even sign. It's He's the biggest wild card. He is quite polarizing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's worth signing or taking Gonzalez at two with the chance of – Bits go there. I, I, so I, I would just take I would take Austin Martin. That I, that feels like the best pick. Maybe if they really want to go under slot, I, I still think Veen is a superior pick to Nick Gonzalez. Yeah, I would be perfectly fine with them taking Veen at two. I mean, on my own personal draft board, I have Veen ranked slightly higher than Martin just because Veen has a little more five-tool potential. But given where Baltimore is at in their rebuild, Martin just seems to be like the perfect match for them. Yeah, I, I, that's understandable. Um, Orioles will, uh, be, will be decent pretty soon, I imagine. 
I don't know about you guys, but like Nick Gonzalez, he's kind of like viewed as I don't know, like Nolan Arenado in the sense that some people just like question the offensive output um, because of where he plays. Yeah, yeah uh, the environment. And he also he played against he had five home runs in one day against like the Purdue Fort Wayne Mastodons. So like people like I feel like there's a lot of question marks like how good is his power and like so I think there's I think he's somewhat of a risk too. Yeah, and he but, did do really well um in the Cape Cod League, which is probably why we're talking about him this high. But it is notable he faced Asa Lacey this year and really struggled. Yeah. And if you look at Nick Gonzalez's swing really closely, there are like everyone has said that his mechanics are perfect, but if you really look at it, there are small little hitches in a swing that might get exposed by a better competition that he got away with um, because of who he was facing. So I'm there are this is not like the safe prospect that everyone is making him out to be. I I think he will hit. From what I read, his like the on prospects live, they were talking about the metrics. And yeah, his he metrics had a re- are he was, very good. He was really able to. They said he was really able to get up, uh, get a pretty good, um, like launch angle, or like swing path on balls up and in. And that's something that's pretty impressive. Being able to generate power on balls up and in. They compared it to trout, which is not fair, obviously. But <laughs> um, he will strike out, from what I read. Uh, but I, I don't really – and like you said, he hit well in the Cape Cod League, so I don't really question his offense at this point. It would just be the defense where I had read – I had I had saw that he was, like, being compared to um, Hira. That's a huge second. comparison that a lot of people have made. Yeah. It sounded like he's better there than Hira, and he could maybe play, like, a corner outfield spot. Really? Huh. Yeah. I don't remember which scouting report I saw that on, but that would be I'm pretty sure Hira didn't even play his uh his senior or the year he got drafted. He didn't even play the field. Yeah, there was there, I think he just he DH'd the whole year. I, yeah. I somewhat remember that as well. Yeah. I think he had some sort of injury. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did. He, there was like I was reading on one of the guys with a bigger injury history in this in this draft, and they noted that Hira had had injury concerns when he came out of uh, when he came into the draft. But here's a question I have: If Nick Gonzalez ends up being Kesson Hira 2.0, albeit with a little better defense, is that worth a top five or top ten pick? Um, I think it could be. Yeah, I yeah. But that, but is that worth? But like, what if Austin Martin goes on to become Mookie Betts and Nick Gonzalez is Keston here? Well, then, then, then you're gonna regret it, obviously. But I like, I I just don't, don't think, think that you, you don't know like what these guys are gonna be for sure. So I I don't know I I I don't know what your point was there. Yeah, uh, I was just saying like. I don't think the risk, the ri- or I'd rather take the risk on Martin. I don't know. Okay. 
yeah. you'd rather you'd rather get the upside of Martin yeah. than the ceiling of the and risk the floor than take the ceiling of yeah. Gonzalez. And for what it's worth, I think Martin's floor is really high. Like his pitch selection skills, his pure hitting ability. It's really just a matter of does he have enough raw power and even if he's just average in that department, getting on base is so valuable along yeah. with his defensive versatility that there's just such a high floor there. The the power was weird because I read that he had that he scouts thought he would tap into his raw. He didn't have like a ton of raw power, but scouts thought that his natural loft would like tap into it. But then when I was looking at prospects live and they were talking about his his uh metrics, it sounded like he actually has like his he hasn't really t- um tapped in. He doesn't really have a lot of loft right now. His launch angle, his average launch angle is pretty low, like 10 degrees, I think they said. So I'm not really sure what teams think in regards to his power. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not completely sure either. He's he's a guy, like Justin said, that's more based on, on base, and that comes with the defensive versatility. So the I guess the yeah, the power is what's in question, but he doesn't necessarily need it. Need, yeah, to, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, he needs that. Yeah. And I mean if you really think about it, power is so uh, volatile anyway. If you put him like in Baltimore, like he's not gonna need a ton of power to put up nice numbers there. And even if he doesn't, like getting on base is more valuable anyway than hitting for power that I don't think it should be this much of a question mark with them. Yeah. It's not like we're talking about someone who's going to hit five home runs a year. We're talking <laughs> about someone with gap power that needs to maximize and turn into home run power. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I, like you, like you guys said, the defensive versatility is really helpful to him there. And, so the power is not the biggest concern, but I, I just found that interesting that there seemed to be some some uh, contradiction in regards to what his loft is actually like and how that will affect his power. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys think of some of the pitchers towards the top here? Um, I'm the one I'm most intrigued about is Max Meyer. Um, because he throws gas and he has that wipeout slider, but I feel like he might have the mo- he might have the highest ceiling out of any of the guys there. It's just it like if he's if he has like it like it comes down to whether he has that third pitch or not. Which I don't know. I'm just really intrigued by him because there's a chance. Yeah, so he becomes an elite reliever. Too. Yeah, so Max Meyer is actually my highest rated player. Yeah, I did see of, that. And what is really intriguing about Max Meyer is I was listening to an interview he did with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. He's never touched a rap soto. Mm. Uh, he's never been in touch with any of the analytics. So if you take him, there's a lot of untapped potential. And 
I really think it just comes down to his height, and that's the only reason he's not considered a possible number one pick. But he's only one inch shorter than Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is considered one of the best workhorses in the MLB. Max Meyer's mechanics are as perfect as they can get. He's as athletic as they can get. He's a fresh arm because he used to be a two-way player. There's just so much room to grow that I actually think his reliever risk is actually less than someone like Asa Lacey, who, unlike Max Meyer, actually has control problems Mm -hmm. and might be limited to a Blake Snell 180 innings type of role. I definitely disagree with that. I think Lacey has the arsenal already where he can stick in the rotation. And like Hoppy said, I'm not convinced necessarily that Meyer does have a third pitch, whereas Lacey's got four. And I, I get that control is somewhat of an issue, but he strikes out so many guys that it's not like a huge concern. And there's also, like, we've seen guys improve their control over time. Like Tyler Glass now could not throw strikes with the Pirates. Now, suddenly, you can throw a lot of strikes with the Rays. Um, Giolito was a guy who never threw strikes in the minors. But he's he broke out last year. So, I definitely think there's a lot more risk as a reliever for Meyer than there is for Lacey. Yeah, actually, and I will agree. Um, I've done a lot of studies that show that um, it's so much harder to improve your strikeout rates and your pure stuff than it is command. My thing also with Max Meyer is even though we think he doesn't have a third pitch, he also, and this also is part of the reason why he's not going 1-1 and it's kind of putting him as my top player is a risk. He doesn't, he didn't ever have to have a third pitch because he mostly pitched out of the bullpen until the season. And that's the problem with uh, the current situation we're in is we did not get to see Max Meyer prove he could throw the third pitch. And that is a problem, but just there's so much to like about Max Meyer. He might have the two best pitches in this draft, which is yeah. very interesting. Um, isn't there something ridiculous? Like, didn't he not start playing baseball until junior year? Like, wasn't he supposed to be a hockey goalie? Like, that's what he was trying yeah. to be. I have no idea, but that wouldn't surprise me, especially since he's from Minnesota. Yeah, junior year of high school. What? I just wanted to clarify junior year of high school because that would make sense. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. And Yeah. But, yeah, that would give him, like, more room to develop if he hasn't been playing for that long, you would think. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of mileage on his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, did, hasn't I think I did read about that. Mm-hmm. What, Justin? He has no injuries, nothing. There's never really been anything with him at all. And I did hear Fangraphs yesterday said there are teams that are worried about Lacey's medicals, mm-hmm. and that could really be interesting. Um, another pitcher who also has some minor medical concerns and other concerns but is still worthy of a very high selection is Emerson Hancock. Um, he's kind of just the complete package. There's his, his pitch mix could use some work. He needs to cut down on his two seamer and throw a lot more of his four seamer, but he has already three really good pitches, good command, good frame, easy delivery. He's probably like the safest bet to be a solid number two starter. It just really comes down to can he, 
improve his pitch mix and become a potential ace. Yeah, I remember Hancock was a guy that he was kind of the consensus top pick in the draft, maybe like, or yeah, maybe like a year ago, I want to say, maybe a little less than that. But he's fallen a little bit in favor of Lacey and even Meyer now. Uh, But he's also a guy that I think teams question whether he has an average breaking ball because I think he throws two sliders, two different sliders that aren't really viewed as that great. So I'm kind of interested to see how a team would work with that. I don't know. Yeah, I just hope he goes to the right team. If he goes to, say, the Royals, it's not going to be great. (laughs) because they don't have a very good history of that, um, working with those types of pitchers. But, if, I mean, it sucks that the Orioles, like, co- couldn't consider him as an underslot because with Elias's history, like, that would be perfect. But any team that can just get slightly more spin efficiency out of him, revamp kind of the pitch mix, like, there are there is some untapped potential that is uncommon for a college player. But if you just draft Emerson Hancock and let him be, he's not going to be a frontline starter. Yeah, his his fastball spin rate uh, was lower than most people would expect. It sounded like, and his slider is, but his slider is really good. But really? there was more questions about his uh, about his changeup, like movement as well. I heard that. Uh... Georgia, they didn't really, like, utilize his changeup enough, which is kind of what held him back this year because – or in his few starts this year because I'm pretty sure he got roughed up or it wasn't great, which is Yeah, kinda... he, he was, like, decent but not great. Yeah. I think his, I think his strikeout-to-walk ratio was still really good, but – The only thing is he's, his strikeouts per nine was only, like, 9.7, which is not crazy. But the reason you always have to take college statistics, especially for pitchers with a grain of salt, is that pitchers are really reliant on what, you know, pitches are being called and how they're being used. So if he wasn't being used properly, that shouldn't concern teams as much as I think it is from what I've heard from MLB Pipeline. Yeah, so him or Lacey is probably going to be the first pitcher off the board, though, right? No, it, I don't... think I think I don't, I don't even think that Hancock's going to be the second. I think Hancock is firmly going to be the third. I wouldn't even yeah. be surprised if he was the fourth, because some think... teams are really high on Cade Cavalli from Oklahoma really? and some other really? guys. Uh, a lot. I have not heard much like spoke about... at all with Hancock in the top seven. What about Detmers? Detmers is another one that um, also could get drafted before him. I think Detmers is firmly in that 9 to 13 range. He might have the his repertoire is probably like most He might be he might be a safer pick than Hancock just cuz he has like three pitches with plus command and and Keith Law says they're, they're like from between 50 and 55 great yeah, pitches too, so Somehow yeah. his fastball is even a 45, though. That's the one thing is yeah. how much untapped potential is there. Is he kind of maxed out? Is he kind of just stuck as a Max Meyer type – or not Max Meyer, Mike Miner type of number three starter 
And if that's the case, it's hard to take him over Hancock or Meyer or Lacey. Yeah. But in a 9-13 to range, that's a perfectly acceptable outcome. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, his his curve, uh, there were some concerns that it might be, like, too obvious. Yeah, it's super loopy. But yet, it they they said that te- that uh, hitters were still having a lot of trouble line- barreling it up. So, it didn't seem like it was that big of an issue. Yeah. Louisville's in the ACC, right? The, uh, ACC. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So, I mean, I guess he's not facing, like, the best comp relative maybe to the Big Ten and the SEC, so that could have a little bit to do with it. Yeah, I, I don't really know how to how to judge college competition. I don't really watch college baseball for the most part. So, I'm not really sure which conferences are the best for competition. I'm not but sure I, how much teams really care about it, too. I think I think that it really just comes down to what are your tools and how can we develop them. Yeah. And fair. I think the problem with Detmers is he's just kind of maxed out. Yeah, low low 90s fastball, good curve. I, I don't know what his third pitch is, probably a changeup. I think it's an average changeup. Yeah. Yeah, so there's not really, like, a lot of upside like there might be with Meyer or Hancock. Right, yeah. I, I would say Hancock goes before Detmers, though. I, I think he will at Probably. Least. He'll probably go to, like, the Mariners or... It really just comes down to who goes number two, though. Yeah. That changes everything. You think, because, do you think uh, the Marlins would take... Martin at three. I've heard the Marlins have already decided on Asa Lacey. I've heard that because the Marlins right now, because of the situation we're in, they're not a very well-off team, and Martin's money demands are just too much is from what I've heard, because he's a Scott Boris client, so there's always that factor into it, too. I I had read that... um... Miami's scouting director had coached at Vanderbilt, though. So, and they did take JJ Bladay. There might be some ties there uh, that would lead them to take Martin if he's available. Is Bladay with Boris? Bladay is with Boris. Yeah. Okay. I just think it, but I really, it's it's going to be really interesting to see with the Boris clients this year specifically, because a lot of teams are going to go cheap, which might push a lot of good players down. And I think that is part of the reason why Baltimore is thinking it's also number two is because they know Boris is not going to cut them any sort of deal. That's fair. That, yeah, that... yeah, I don't really know how Boris operates with his draft clients. He does not take deals. Uh, from his history, he he has not taken deals at all. Remember Hunter was Hunter Green with Boris? I have no idea. Trying to maybe not. I thought he was, and I just remembered he was someone that almost he nearly didn't sign, and he went to 
he almost went to UCLA. I was trying to remember if that was Boris or not. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't keep track of this, the agents for draft guys. I barely keep track of them for MLB guys, except some Boris clients. So, Justin, do you know who JT Ginn is with? Ginn is Boris. He is Boris? Okay. Boris yeah, he's... has Ginn, Cole Wilcox, Torkelson, and Martin are the ones I know for sure he has. Ginn is interesting, too, because... He has a ton of leverage with, like, because he's a he's only a sophomore. Um, but yeah, he can be drafted. He's draft eligible, and I think if if he goes to a team like, I'd be kind of worried if he goes to a team like the Dodgers, who can tap into what he's doing or his potential. What's funny about well, that is he actually got drafted by the Dodgers at a yeah. high school, and then he didn't sign. Um, in the first round, correct? Yeah, yeah in, in the, the first, first round. round. Which actually worked out for the Dodgers because they used the pick uh, the next year on Michael Bush, who's a really intriguing multi-position infielder. Um, but so he, he's, he's already shown that he's not scared to walk away. Yeah. The concern with Ginn, though, would be that he just – he just said Tommy Chong. That's and, that and is, he's that a little right. undersized with some delivery concerns. So it's not like, oh, how did he have Tommy John? Like that was a fluke. Like he's he's still fine. Like there are legitimate like reliever um risks with him. Yeah. So what what about uh what about Mick um Abel? Is it Abel or Abel? I think it's Abel. I have no idea. I thought it was Abel, but Able, it might be able. Well, I don't care. What do you guys think of him? Yeah. So the thing about Mick Able is he—it's all untapped potential. Like you have, there's so much room between where he is now and where he's gonna be. But you're talking about someone who's six foot five, 180 pounds. So you know he's gonna gain some weight, and his velocity is gonna go even up. Um, he has really good, from what I've seen, spin rates. It's just that his spin efficiency is lacking. So that's um, something that's easier to fix, especially with an 18-year-old. Um, he already has three pitches that all project to be above average. Good command. Has proven himself. So teams are worried about Bitsko. Abel has actually proven himself. I think there's no reason why he shouldn't be taken highly after the top college pitchers, I just, there's just so much potential there. And he's actually probably safer than normal for a prep pitcher. Yeah. I remember that's what Keith Law said that he has like the best mixture of like high upside and probability. So yeah, he's, he's probably likely going to be the top uh, prep pitcher to go, but Never know if a team like the Reds sees something in Bitsco and the Reds could take goes... Abel too. Yeah, yeah. Because he lives like right near driveline, so he has connections there too. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh the only concern Washington. I'm aware of with Abel or Abel was his he had a velocity dip during during last season that might be of some concern, but there was little chance for him to recover from it based on 
everything. And he also is another pitcher who needs to become more of a four-seam centric guy, which is really easy to do for an 18-year-old. Which, is, But once again, it is going down the line of it's a lot of untapped potential. But for the smart teams out there, that should be seen as a positive, not a negative. So a couple things. Uh, do you have like... Do you have pitch breakdowns that suggest that he should use his four seamer more, I, or is that just I, I heard that something his, that you've... I, I've heard that his um, that there's some issues with how his two seam complements his breaking pitches, and that when he throws the four seam, like the four seam just grades out as a better pitch. Okay, I think it was from Prospects um, Live. Gotcha, and then. From I think it, you were talking about Abel. Do you want to elaborate on spin efficiency? Because spin rate is pretty commonly known at this point, I think, but spin efficiency is not quite as well known, I don't think. Yeah, so spin rate is just the raw spin numbers. Um, all but and everyone's mostly aware of what that is. But with spin efficiency is actually what really um, can be seen, like. Um, with the hitter because the spin efficiency is measuring like how much the ball is like actually moving. Like, so essentially how useful the spin is. Um, and right now I think uh, Abel is only around 92% is what I saw somewhere in there. So he ideally would get slightly higher. Um, but I know that's something that a lot of teams have focused on. Um, that's something that's even pitchers like Jaco Dorizzi have done to really um, improve and take their games to the next level is converting their raw spin numbers into better spin efficiency. Um, and it's a but it's a really easy relationship to expect improvement. So it's not something to be worried about if the spin efficiency is currently low. Okay, I'm gonna ask another question. I don't know if you can answer it or not. Um, if you can't, that's fine. But do you want to explain how you might gain more spin efficiency? Um, I think that just comes down to, um, like, I think it just comes down to mechanics and grip. Does it have to do with maybe the access? Which that was the other thing I was gonna hypothesize. Um, it's just how it plays off. That would be my guess. Okay. Yeah, I'm not entirely familiar with spin efficiency either. I was reading a bit about the access um, today, but I'm not sure if that has a direct correlation with improving your spin efficiency or not. Yeah, all I know is that if you have like Ross good spin numbers, it should it should correlate over time to good spin efficiency, like or it can be improved. Okay. So we've talked about the top tier of hitters and the top tier of hit pitchers, I think. Probably about the top 10 guys. Um, do we want to talk about some more position players that probably won't go in the top 10? Maybe start with Ed Howard. Um, yeah, Ed Howard, he's uh, interesting to me because he's not someone that I don't think teams view him as a guy that's going to be a star. But he, like Pete Crow Armstrong, is probably 
a very safe bet to stay at his position shortstop, um, which is very valuable. Um, yeah, he's he's interesting to me too. Yeah, so the thing that Ed Howard he's seen as right now a defensive first player, and because he's in Chicago, he hasn't gotten to play against top tier competition. But his hard contact not really solid there, so there is raw power to get intrigued about. And take this with a grain of salt, but there are some similarities between him coming into this draft and Gavin Lux when he was drafted. Gavin Lux was also seen as a Midwest player who was going to be a defensive first guy who had um, some decent raw power, but the offense was profile was kind of murky. And obviously, Ed Howard, to reach that, would need to go to a team like the Dodgers or the Rays to reach that potential. But it is worth knowing that there is some sort of track record of these guys improving over time because they are just 18 years old. Yeah. I'd say it's probably unlikely he slips that far, but yeah, I'd really like to see him go to a team like the Rays. I think they're, I don't know, they just seem, because he's, he's a pretty contact-oriented player, right? And he, and that's, I don't know, that's kind of what the Rays like to target, too. Yeah, the only question with the Rays is they have two picks in the top 40. I think they'll go ceiling with one of them and floor with the other it just are they going to take because there are a lot of like contact oriented like college infielders so that might be where the Rays go first yeah they take like a prep arm but if Howard is there that is in my opinion like this easy pick for them for sure yeah I've seen them uh, link to Nick Lofton who's pretty much like a step below Howard yeah he's a shortstop as well right yeah yeah, I don't know much about Lofton. I had looked at looked at a mock that had the Phillies taking him, I believe, but I don't really know um, really? much about him. The Phillies. Maybe yeah, that's, that's wrong. I've heard him as oh, high as the never Rangers. Mind. Never mind. It was the A's. Yeah. But the A's, the A's already have a couple shortstops. Basan, among others. I think with Lofton, you're just getting a safe utility player. I don't even know if he's an everyday guy. Which is really useful and like something I would even consider at the back end. But if that's his of the first round, but if that's kind of his ceiling, is just a solid utility player. It's not a great um, risk reward type of move. Pick, yeah. What do you think of a couple of the? There's a couple outfielders and a couple catchers. I think we should talk about. Um. I don't know, we can start with the catchers, um, Patrick Bailey and Tyler Sodom, Soderstrom, I believe. Yeah. So Patrick Bailey, his ceiling is probably something like a Yasmani Grandal, which would be awesome. Don't think he gets there, but he's going to walk. He's got some raw power, and it's just a matter of his pure hitting ability being good enough for some people and his defense going to the next level. And obviously – it's hard to evaluate catchers right now because you know the automatic strike zone is coming soon. But I think with his walk rates and potential to hit for above-average power, that Patrick Bailey's a pretty safe guy. And Strom actually ends up being a catcher, depending on the teams he gets 
that drafts him, I would keep him there or at least have him be like a utility catcher slash third baseman because having that in his arsenal would be very valuable. But Soderstrom, his contact skills are really good. His approach is really refined for an 18-year-old. And his exit velocity numbers are really good. So Pipeline only gave him a 50 grade for his power. I think you're looking at the chance for a 55 to 60 there. Um, I think there that Soderstrom goes anywhere from the White Sox to the Giants. I don't think there's any way he gets past the Giants at 13. Bailey is a little more random. He could go as high as 7 or 8. He could also fall into the 20s. But it, it really just comes down to do you want the upside with Soderstrom as either being a catcher or a third baseman or both? Or do you want someone you know is or you think you know is going to be your starting catcher in two to three years. So I think, I think if Soderstrom would go to the, to the giants, the chances are probably less that he would stick at catcher. Yeah. Though the one thing is uh, Farhan Zaidi obviously comes from the Dodgers tree. They do like the first, they take a lot of catchers. That, that's something that they love doing. And they do love those utility types that can play like catcher and third base and outfield, like Austin Barnes, Will Smith, yeah. uh, Kyle Kyle Farmer could Kyle play Farmer. some second and catcher, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think from what I read, the the concern, the only reason that Soder or the main reason that Soderstrom might move from behind the plate would be because they hit the development of his defense might take a while. His bat is well ahead of where his defense is at because he didn't start catching until uh, not that recent or like recently. Um, And so his defense would take longer to develop, whereas his bat is going to be ready for the majors much quicker. And there was also like the concern that if they do keep working on his defense, he'll wear down at catcher. That's like I've heard a lot. Start to go away. But going back to Patrick Bailey, is he someone that teams view as, like, a good defender? I'm not sure. It's really mixed. Yeah, I've heard, like, that he he might be able to stay a catcher, but he – like, the likelihood of him getting to Yasmani Grandal defensively is not very big. The, um, the one thing is that catcher defense does like can be developed. We've seen JT Romuto, Mitch Garver, Alex Avila, and a bunch of other guys really improve over time with uh, good coaching. I think catcher defense is actually a somewhat predicated also on what um, team you're on. That's fair enough. Because a lot of teams are doing the one knee technique now. So if anything, catcher defense is actually might start getting devalued even despite what happens with the automatic strike zone yeah Yeah, from what i from what i saw he's a good enough defender that if he doesn't hit enough to be a starter he could still be a backup but i don't that was just one report i believe yeah i'm pretty sure he was he was a guy like Hancock that was maybe like a year ago was maybe viewed as a potential five or a top five pick, but he's kind of like because of some of the questions about defense, it's why he's there's a little more variance on like where he might 
or where people view he might go. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, I'll, so I think there's a few outfielders now that we should talk about. Um, Garrett Mitchell is one. Uh, Robert Hassel. And I believe there's a third. Austin Hendrick? Yes. So, I don't know. Justin, you can start with one of them. So, uh, I'm just going to say that I'm lower on all three of these guys than consensus. Um, I'll start with Mitchell, though. Um, it's a good pure hitter, really good speed. So, there's some potential there as, like, someone who can get on base and play above average defense. And if he does that, that's great. But it's not like he was his plate discipline was really special. And his power is all predicated on a swing change. Right now, his swing is really choppy. And if you don't develop him, he's probably just Ender and CRK. Someone in that mode. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's incredibly harsh. But if you do I... develop him, it, it really just comes... I mean, <laughs> like, it really just comes down to the power um, developing. Like, I, it's a really choppy swing. Ender but and CRK I, I... is probably more of a floor, but... He's got to go to a better, a good organization. Ender and Ciarte has got to be like a basement, like below the freaking floor, <laughs> like the ground. He, I, I, I don't. He's got more raw power. Like he's got enough raw power where I don't see how he could drop to the level of like in Ciarte. But even if you have raw power, you do have to convert it. And right now he has a ground ball swing. Well, I, I think that's fair. But I don't think that, like, even Eric Hosmer can get a ball in the air and hit hit some homers once in a while. And he's got way more. And he's – Hosmer sucks, so that was a bad comp. But <laughs> but a few years ago, Hosmer was decent at least. So I, I, I think I, – I don't know. I just don't see Mitchell being a guy who hits what an NCR to have last year, probably like seven homers. I mean, a year. NCRT at his peak was a solid. Yeah. I wouldn't say like uh, yeah. NCRT last year would be a good comparison for Mitchell. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't think calling someone Ender NCRT is necessarily an insult, especially NCRT at his peak. Like he was a pretty solid player. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I like NCRT, but I just don't think. <laughs> I don't see the power comp there. Like, even if yeah. Mitchell isn't able to convert all of his raw power into game power, I don't think it'll be NCRT level. That's I think it'll fair. be better. That's fair. Right. Yeah. Though, um, the other thing with Mitchell, too, is when you compare him, he's not really a polished product. And I'm not like, he's pretty comparable in, like, present skills to even, like, I don't know how much better he is currently than P. Crow Armstrong or some of the other outfielders in this class, and he's also a college guy, so he should be more finished of a pro- product, which is a little concerning to me. That's fair, and mm-hmm. I do agree he needs to have a swing change, because I, I did watch some of him, and he doesn't tend to get a lot of rotation to get enough power. And it's more contact-oriented, maybe some gap power. So I do agree that a swing change is necessary there. But I just think he's way more – that even at his worst, he's going to have more power than an NCRT type. 
The one thing I would say, though, I think Pipeline has him as, like, the sixth-best player over Zach Veen and some other guys. That's a little too high for me. Really? Huh. It's way too high. Uh, I don't know. I, I Overall, I I like Mitchell. I think he's a pretty, like, safe investment in the first round. I think, like, I've heard him to, like, the Cubs at 16, Phillies yeah. at 15. The Cubs got this guy named Justin Stone, who they say is supposed to be someone that's supposed to help or help guys like Mitchell take like fix their swing. So I don't know. Maybe with the Cubs, he that that could be an organization that is able to fix him and tap into his potential, so he's not injuring CRT. So what about? Uh, do you like the other guys better than Mitchell? Do you like Hendrick or Hassel better than I'm not. Mitchell? I like ha- Hassel's fine. Um, the one thing I will say is I'm a little worried about someone who's with pure hitting ability being like your main skill and polish being your main skill as a prep player because Hassel just doesn't have like the raw power that even like that some of the other guys have. Like, I think Pete Crow Armstrong might even have better raw power long term. But I think Hassel, and the other thing is, is he going to stay in center field? But I think Hassel's a pretty safe option to go in the fir- um, first round. Obviously, he'll go in the first round. I've heard him as high as eight to the Padres. That's too high for me, even though it would be an underslot. But I think middle of the first round, back end of the first round, he'll probably be a future everyday corner outfielder. And then Hendrick... Hendrick is someone I actually have um, some really kind of harsh takes on. I just, he's old for his class, so he's already physically dominating, yet his approach is not good at all. His swing is a little wonky for me, but that's fine. But it's, there's just, I'm never going to be in favor of taking a corner prep player because. If Hendrick is already not a great athlete, it's only going to get worse as he fills out even more. And I just, for high school position players, if you're you're not an up-the-middle player, it's hard for me to really be in favor. And the raw power is great, but if he ends, I'm just really scared he ends up being a low-on-base, average-to-below-average defense corner outfielder, which would not be worth a really high pick. I I agree with most of that. I'm I'm a little scared of, or I I guess I'm not really scared, but I'm a little <laughs> skeptical of, um, Hendrick. Uh, his swing is really is really weird. He's got like a double toe tap thing. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen that. I I'm kind of. I'm I'm not sure that his timing will always be great. He does, and like he swings and misses a lot already, I believe. And. It's I, I think his stride might get too long sometimes if he keeps that toe tap. Looked like it might already. He's um, he's someone that uh if he falls a little bit, uh and because like how Justin said, he is old for his class, he is sophomore eligible. So he's probably someone that'll like if he does fall, to probably just tell teams, Oh, I'm not gonna sign, I'm just gonna go to Mississippi State. I've heard so. he has huge demands too, so you're not getting him cheap. Yeah. So I think 
he's probably someone that may just not get drafted. And honestly, because of, because of the risk. That's probably what I would do if I were him if he didn't get drafted or wasn't in a position to get drafted high enough. Because most of the time, like corner players, like we see Spencer Torkelson here, you need to be sure that they're going to be able to produce and really be able to hit. So, And you have a much better feel for that once they're in college. So I wouldn't be surprised if Hendrick went to college for two years and ended up being a top 10 pick. But right now, I just wouldn't take him really at all in the first round with his I think the, demands. I think the power his he generates a lot of torque with the swing. Um, so that is something that he does well with it. So I think the power is, and I think the power is there where a team will probably be willing to take him at some point in the mid to late first round. But I, I agree that I'm not sure I would. Yeah, him and he's kind of similar to Blaze Jordan, who was like at one point supposed to be the next Bryce Harper, but now is looking like probably like a second or third round pick who's almost guaranteed to go to college. So, I don't know, he's another polarizing player that I think Mississippi State's probably going to get him and Hendrick. He's even worse than Hendrick in turn and uh, projection yeah. because he's a, probably a first base only. And yeah, yeah. Though the one thing is Jordan is young for the class, so while Hendrick's older, which is kind of interesting. Um, Jordan obviously has the home run derby spotlight. I was actually there when he won the home run derby. It was really impressive. He just cool. hasn't really ever produced in games. So that's a concern. I've actually heard, though, he might go to the Indians at pick 36. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be quite a reach, in my opinion. But if there was a team that could develop that, the Indians would be at the top of the list. Yeah, because the Indians have that track record with, like, uh, Ethan Hankins, Daniel Espino. Uh, I think Brady Aiken kind of fits that mold, too. Yeah, he's more. Yeah, so Blaze Jordan. Yeah, I could, I could see that happening. I mean, and they have a really good farm system that's really deep right now. So they're also might feel that they're in a position to take more risks. I think the Indians are more of a pitching development system, though. Is what I would say. They do really well with develop, developing their pitchers. With like Clevenger was great. They could Perhaps be interesting Oak, for. A pitcher at twenty three, if a prep arm is still there, if they well, there's yeah. there's a lot of prep arms around that area, yeah. Aren't there? Or no, wait, well, there's so, a lot of, there's a lot of college arms that are so probably gonna go around that. Area. How it is with the prep arms is there's the main there's Abel Bitsko and even Jared Kelly. That's kind of the top three that most people have, and then there's like the second tier that might go at the end of the first round. That's like much more unpolished, like Justin Lang. Mason Wynn, um, Tanner Witt. All right, we had technical some technical difficulties, but we are back. And Justin will continue to talk about whatever he was talking about before. Yeah, so the Indians are obviously a pitcher development guru. And even 
if you look at the teams that are picking at the end of the first round, the Indians, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Twins, there are a lot of teams there that are really good. The Rays, there are a lot of teams that there that are good at developing pitching. And there are a lot of intriguing prep arms in this class that have a lot of untapped potential. Justin Lang touches 100 miles per hour. Mason Wynn is a two-way player who has 80-grade arm speed and a lot of tools. And Tanner Witz, your prototypical projectable righty. And then there's also a lot of college righties, too, that will go in that range. So I think the back end of the first round is just going to be filled with a ton of pitching for the most part. And I think the Indians will definitely be one of those teams. It's just a matter of which one they want to take. Including the Twins as a team who develops pitching well is interesting. I'd say. They have got they have gotten better since because like a Falvey uh, Levine, which I don't remember which one it was. One of them came over from Cleveland. One of them was from Texas. I think Falvey was from Cleveland. At the very uh, least, they're more analytically inclined than some other teams, it, even in their yes. division. Yeah, I would agree, especially like Kansas City. Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The Twins, they're not that bad. They've gotten better. Belazovic. Johan Duran. However you say it. Yeah. Yeah. Barrios is fine. Odorizzi improved. They they have improved in recent years. That's definitely for sure. Um. So I think it's about time that we wrap this up here. So, But I think we should talk about any any standout guys that you guys, that we haven't really talked about that you guys really want to point out before we we stop. Do you have would, do, we, do you have any of those guys initially? I mean, there are a couple of wild cards. One guy that keep an eye on to go in the top 15, or I'll throw two names that are going to go in the top 15 potentially, are Garrett Crochet and Cade Cavalli. Uh, a lot of teams like Cavalli because he throws really hard, has good mechanics, is 6'4", 230, good slider. Um, I'm not as on him as other people. Um, I think I have him around the 20 range on my board, but I've heard him as high as the Angels at 10 to the Giants at 13, somewhere in that range. And Garrett Crochet, if Garrett Crochet, you knew he was going to be a starting pitcher, he could easily be in that conversation with Asa Lacey. He's got like little like Andrew Miller in him in terms of the way his slider plays. It's really loopy and goes has a ton of horizontal break. The problem with him is he has a really strange delivery. Um, didn't really pitch a lot this year, and a lot of people think he's going to end up in the bullpen. But he could be one of those pitchers that you look back on this draft and you just wonder why he fell to the Brewers at pick twenty, and now he's a stud eighth but he's also a real risk for teams that have thin farm systems picking at the top half of the draft yeah crochet was supposed to is supposed to have some of the like best rost in the draft one can but as you said there's concern that he might be a reliever and then i also saw that teams um speculate that he might have had an off-field issue oh he missed some time with an injury yeah he barely but but teams yeah he missed some times with an injury, but people weren't or teams weren't sure that it was actually an injury and that it wasn't something off field. 
yeah, he I don't I think he didn't pitch at all this spring until like I think the last game before the shutdown and it was like a three inning unannounced uh relief outing. Yeah. That that I don't think anyone really got to see. Cause yeah. So th- there's yeah, there's a lot of question marks surrounding him because no one really knows what's up with him. Javi, do you have anyone else that you want to talk about before we sh- shut it down for the night here? Um, and I'm not too familiar with this guy, Cole Wilcox, but I'm I'm interested to see what happens to him. He's probably going to be a guy that's taken uh, later, probably later first round. Um, cause I think he did hit a hundred and he sits like 94, 95, 96. Uh, so I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of intrigued to see what happens with him because I think he's a guy that teams might view as a number one or number two, uh, or ceiling wise, but, uh, he, he, I think he also barely pitched. I think he mostly came out of the bullpen in college until, this year, so yeah, yeah he he mostly pitched out of the pen, which is kind of why his third pitch he, teams he doesn't really have like much of a third pitch right now. But that's probably that was probably hindered by the fact he was coming out of the pen a lot because he didn't really need a third pitch. Right. Yeah. So he has he has a bit of a do- funky uh, delivery. I don't know if you watched any of it. Yeah. No, it's a little Arietta esque. But like yeah. more funky, and not and not. Yeah. I'm not even sure it's funky in a good way. Yeah, like I think I think Lacey's delivery is funky, but I I'm fine with it. I think it's oh, it's a bit deceptive, funky. But I'm not sure. I'm not. I didn't really like the way that um, Wilcox will moves like with his with his arms and where his arm when his arm comes up out of his motion. He's also a sinker heavy guy. And that's something that a lot of teams are devaluing. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. The one thing I will say, he is a Boris client with durability concerns and he's a pitcher. So that has nationals written all over it at 22. (laughs) But, and I've seen him link there a lot, but that would be the one concern is that he's already, He's already, you know, coming out of college, and his he needs a lot of work, and there is definitely some reliever risk. So I wouldn't be surprised if he just decides to go back to school and prove he can start. Yeah, that's possible. The only guy, the only other guy I think I'll bring up here before we head out is Clayton Beater. I, I don't know too much about him, but he seemed like – he seemed really interesting. He came out of the pen for a while. He does have some injury. I, I read that he has as many, many uh, arm injuries as quality starts. It's literally like two of these, I believe. What? He, he was coming out of the pen prior to this year, I believe. Um, and he was walking like a batter per inning out of the bullpen. Jeez. But then he was only, he was only walking like 1.7 batters per nine this year as a starter. So I'm not sure like how you 
evaluate that, like how you determine what that means. But it it's really interesting, at least. It really makes no sense at all. Like you would think when you become a starter, you you would actually have more issues potentially walking guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah. he has a really good two pitch mix. It's just a matter of is he going to hold up as a starter? Yeah, I, I think teams or scouts were saying he flashes a solid, solid change at least. So it's possible he'll get a third pit. He'll develop a third pitch, and it's just the matter of the injuries though, and. You don't even know what the command is going to be. That's the other thing that's probably slightly concerning teams. Yeah, so I, I, I think one, Fangrass had him in like the top 20, 25, whereas MLB.com pipeline had him at like 51. Yeah, I have him in at terms 20 of the prospect ranks. So I'm kind of, I'm slightly in between, but definitely favoring Fangrass ranking of him more. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's interesting, and he'll be one to watch. I'd love to see him go to the Rays or the Brewers or one of those teams that really has creative roles for their pitchers. Because I don't think he's going to be a 200-inning guy, but if you put him in like a Brandon Woodruff type of role, I think he could thrive. I think I, I saw a mock with him going to the Dodgers, which would be that intriguing. Would be. Oh, they'd get the best out of him. Yeah. All right, so I think that's going to be it for today. This was fun. We did some nice draft coverage, I think. We're not experts, but we tried to be for a day. (laughs) And we will be back, at least me and Javi will. Justin will not, unless he wants to be at some point, uh, next week for another podcast. And I think we're going to talk prospects next week with Tucker. So thanks for joining us, and we'll – Have you listen in next week, hopefully. All right, peace.